0: Well, how many of you, you love uh, buried treasure movies like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or National Treasure? Would you just raise your hands right now? Um, I've got this incredible uh, true story I want to tell you this morning. It actually happened in the year 1979 and buried treasure was discovered. It was actually archaeological treasure uh, discovered near uh, the ancient city of Jerusalem. And it was discovered uh, through an expedition, uh, a dig led by this man, Gabriel Barkay. He was an archaeologist at Tel Aviv University. He was digging uh, just outside the ancient walls of Jerusalem near this old church, uh, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Jerusalem. And you can, you can see uh, the areas where the digging has happened right at the bottom of that image. And uh, he had very little financial support And so he got to a place where he needed help and he ended up reaching out to a a local boys and girls club. Asking if they had any of their summer campers who would like to come and help. And these were like junior high kids. And they said yes. And so he acquires this team of 12 and 13 year old assistants. He starts digging uh, with this little army of junior hires. And, and their job is to clean away centuries of dirt and grime from these ancient Jewish burial chambers. Now, in this picture, which he took, his, his middle schoolers are, are lying down in the burial slabs where the dead bodies went. I think it's kind of funny. I don't know about you guys. Uh, but he took this to show his students uh, at Tel Aviv uh, University how the burial ground was laid out. One day, Gabriel asks this boy, whose name was Nathan, if he would clean out one of the burial nooks, and it, it, it's this little nook, it's about this wide, and, and the, the bones would go in it, and it just had gotten full of dirt and, and debris, and then the rest of it around was solid stone, and so he says to Nathan, I need you to clean that nook. Now, why did he ask Nathan to do that? I want to quote the words of Gabriel, the archaeologist. This is what he said. Among the 13-year-old diggers, there was one very annoying kid (laughs) named Nathan, who was always tugging at my shirt, always asking me questions. I, I thought this was an ideal place to put him. He would be out of my sight. And I told Nathan, this has to be as clean as his mother's kitchen, even if you have to lick it. And this is all for the photography. And so... Nathan got to work, Nathan cleans this nook out meticulously and then he gets bored. And then Nathan finds a hammer and you put a junior high kid, a boy and a hammer together and you never know what's going to happen, right? And he starts banging the hammer on the solid rock sides and the bottoms of this burial nook. And then truth becomes stranger than fiction because what they thought was solid rock breaks through. It turns out that the side of this nook was actually hollow, and Nathan had found a secret entryway into an ancient uh, chamber that was filled with clay vessels that contained um, around a thousand artifacts, including ancient gold and silver and precious jewelry. It is the largest hoard of treasure ever found in Jerusalem uh, to this day. Now, in this next picture, you can see the the square hole Nathan found originally disguised by the people who built this so that it would look solid. And, And just stop to think about this. If a junior high boy hadn't been playing around with a hammer, it's quite possible that this treasure would still be undiscovered. When they began uh, digging into it, no pun intended, uh, the contents of this chamber they discovered dated to the 7th century BC. It's the time of Jeremiah the prophet. It's the time of the first temple period, very ancient. And, and as they were excavating and separating all of the things in the chamber, there was this girl uh, named Judy who, who walks up to Gabriel and she's holding this tiny this tiny little thing in her hand that looked like a cigarette butt. And this, this is it. It was actually a tiny, tightly rolled up silver scroll. And then they found a second one that was like it. And like everything else in this, it, this, uh, this tomb, this burial chamber, it dated to the seventh uh, century BC, the first temple period. And so the question became for them, well, what, what is on these scrolls? Because they knew something was written on them But the problem was getting the the scrolls unrolled without them crumbling to dust. And no one knew how to do this. Well, several years, scientists worked on a process. And finally, they, they figured out a way to unroll the silver scrolls. And when they did, they made this astonishing discovery. Both scrolls, and here you have a picture of them, contained the exact same piece of the Bible, Both of these are actually today the oldest copies of any scripture that discovered. Now, by comparison, the Dead Sea Scrolls, most of us have heard about these. They they rocked the world in the 1940s when manuscripts were discovered that were as old as 200 BC. These scrolls are more than four centuries older than that. And the words that were written on these scrolls are known as the Aaronic benediction. Now, I wanna be clear, this is not the ironic benediction. Uh, that might be something like, may the Lord be as much of a blessing to you as I'm sure you are to him. Something like that. Or the short version of that one is, bless your heart. Um, that would be an ironic benediction. This is the Aaronic benediction. So why, why is it called that? Well, it goes back around 3,400 years, back to the time of, of Aaron the priest, After the people of Israel have escaped slavery in Egypt, after Moses gets the Ten Commandments, God gives instructions to Moses and his brother Aaron, who's the priest, on how they are to build the tabernacle, which is often called the Tent of Meeting. It was like a a portable temple where they would worship and make sacrifices to cover the sins of the people. And one of the things that God tells them to do is this. He says, when the service of the tent of meeting is over, have Aaron the priest raise his hands over the people and say these words. And it turns out those words are what was on those ancient silver scrolls that were found in that archeological dig. Now in our Bibles, those words are found in the book of Numbers and I'd like you to turn to that that book in the Old Testament. They're in chapter 6 And we're gonna be reading together verses 22 through 27. This is the word of the Lord for us today, Southwinds. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you. And give you peace. So, and this is God speaking, so they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. The word of the Lord, all God's people say, Amen. Now, these are very familiar words. Uh, We've known them, we've said them maybe hundreds of times. We've said them, expressed them together the last two Sundays of this series as we've closed our services. And so today what we're going to do is take just a deep dive into them. And we're going to be talking about the blessing. And I'm calling it that because this blessing that we've just read in Numbers 6 has been the central expression of God's blessing for God's people for over three years thousand years and what I want you to see today is that this blessing contains the meaning of your entire life It, it tells you your life story and what your life is all about and and I think it's important for you to hear that because these words are so familiar and we can say them almost without thinking and we kind of skim over the surface of them and never really understand them but I want you to know today if you will truly grasp them, understand them, and then begin to live out of them, what this blessing will show you will change everything in your life. And so we're gonna look at three questions. If you're taking notes, you can do that on the app. Um, Here's the first question. Write this down. What is the blessing? What is this blessing? Let's just work through it line by line. And the first line is this. The Lord bless you and keep you. So again, what does it mean for God to bless us? Like, is that what God says to you when you sneeze? You know, what does this mean? What are we talking about? And I, I said this was called the Aaronic benediction. Well, what does benediction mean? It comes from a Latin word, and bene means good. Diction means word, so benediction literally means good word. It, it's God giving you a good word. And so where does this idea come from, this idea of a benediction, this idea of a, of a blessing, of a good word from God? Well, it actually comes and originates in the very first part of the Bible, in the very first book, in the very first chapter. In Genesis 1, if you read the account of creation, every time a day of creation ends, you will read a phrase that says, God saw what he had made, and it was what? It was good, now, when we finish something and we say, that's good, it's usually kind of like, that turned out a lot better than I thought it was going to. Or maybe it's, that's pretty good, if I say so myself. That's what it means when, when, it, when it's us saying it, but is that what God means? And the answer, obviously, is no. Of course not. Not. God is omniscient, he knows everything. God is omnipotent, he has all power. That means everything that God ever does is absolutely perfect. And so when God says something is good that he has done, what it means fundamentally is that he is delighting in it. It means that he is enjoying it. And so that is part of what it means for God to bless you. God is saying, I delight In you, and I just want to stop and I just want to ask you, do you know that? Do you know that? Do you actually believe that? Some of us have a hard time accepting that that could ever possibly be true, especially if that's you today. I want to share. With you, One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is in a book that we don't really read that often, kind of tucked towards the end of the Old Testament. It's the book uh, of Zephaniah, Zephaniah. And, And the verse is Zephaniah 3, and it's verse 17. And this is what this verse says. It says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take, what, great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that good? God's blessing means that he delights in you. And I want to ask you again, do you believe that? You need to ask yourself that question and answer it honestly. Do you believe that? And, And are you receiving that for your life? But it means more than that. Uh, we find uh, a second example of what blessing means when we look at the way that fathers in the Bible would bless their children at the end of their lives. You find several accounts like this at different places where a father would uh, call his his children to his side he 's getting close to the end of life and He would put his hands on his children's head, and he would start with the oldest child, the son, and he would pronounce blessings. And the oldest son would, of course, receive most of the estate, and then he would bless each other son in some way. And in doing this, it's very significant, he was not only wishing them well, he was not only praying for their prosperity, he was actually objectively blessing this child by bestowing property on them by giving them their inheritance. And so this also tells us when when God says, I bless you, he's not just saying, I delight in you. He's also saying, I provide for you. God is saying in his blessing on you, "I, I grant you the resources that you need to live the life that I created you for. So when God says, I bless you, he is saying, not only do I want your good, I am committed to achieving your good. I will do whatever it takes for you to be truly blessed. And I think that's part of why this blessing says, the Lord bless you and what's next? Keep you, keep you. God doesn't just wish for your good, God achieves your good. Now how important is this? How important is God's blessing to us? I want to take a few moments to look at uh, one case study in the Bible. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. Maybe you know the story. Jacob and Esau were fraternal twins. They were born to Isaac and Rebekah. Esau was born first, uh, which meant that he was technically the firstborn. But of course, Jacob was only a, a few minutes younger. And this becomes a huge problem for Jacob. Because in this day, uh, this is known as the law of primogeniture, the firstborn would would get the majority of the father's estate. Uh, He would get the greatest blessing. But it's kind of an interesting thing. If you go back a couple of chapters earlier from uh, where where, where, we're going to be focusing in Genesis 27, you go back to chapter 25, God, before these twins were born, had sent a prophecy to Isaac and Rebekah, and God had said, even though Isaac is gonna be born first, I am putting my blessing on the second born. Jacob will be the one through whom I bring salvation to the world. Therefore, God says, I want you to bless Jacob. I want you to make Jacob the head of the family. I want you to give Jacob the birthright, give Jacob the firstborn's blessing. But what happens? Isaac the father, ignores the prophecy of God, and he sets his heart on Esau. He, he dotes on Esau. He ignores Jacob, and Jacob grows up like you'd expect, angry and needy, like most kids do who, who grow up with a father withholding their affection and blessing. And so when Isaac comes to close to the end of his life, he's very old, he's practically blind, this is the time now for him to give his blessing and he wants to give it to Esau. But something happens. Jacob, with the help of his mother, Rebekah, disguises himself as Esau. He dresses in Esau's clothes. He, he puts uh, animal skins on his arms because uh, Esau was a hairy guy and Jacob was not a hairy guy. He does all of this to deceive his father so that he could receive his father's blessing. And and by the way, kind of a side note, some of you, you think your family is messed up? This is messed up, right? Can we all agree with that? This is messed up. Now, why would he do this? Why would Jacob do this, take this risk? Jacob had to know that his father Isaac is going to quickly find out what he has done. He had to know that his brother Esau is going to quickly find out what he has done. There's no way that Isaac was actually going to bestow the family leadership on Jacob and give the majority of his wealth uh, to Jacob. No way this is gonna happen. Why in the world would Jacob do this? Tim Keller, I think, explains this very well when he writes, the answer is Jacob was so empty inside so needy for his father's blessing that he was willing to do just about anything to hear his father say, you are my beloved child and you I delight and am well pleased. Everything I have is yours. He wanted to hear that. He wanted to hear that even if he knew it was a lie. He just wanted to hear it once. Now, of course, you keep reading this story. Isaac does find out almost immediately he's horrified. Esau, his brother, finds out almost immediately, and he is so enraged that he starts making plans to murder his own brother, Jacob. And the result of this is that Jacob has to go into exile. He has to leave his his home and his family. Jacob never sees his mother again. He never sees his father again. He gets actually nothing of Isaac's estate. Like his whole life, His whole life blows up, all because he desperately wanted blessing. How many of you know this story? Have you ever asked yourself why this story resonates with us so much? It's just this idea that, that we all kind of know intuitively. We all desperately want someone from outside us, someone of unique and great worth, to say to us that we are unique That we have great worth because we all need that. Every one of us. Do you know we actually cannot bless ourselves? I said that earlier, but I don't wanna say it again. It's so important. We need someone outside us to bless us. And the reason I'm saying that is that our culture is constantly telling us that we can bless ourselves. Our our culture tells us that we shouldn't depend on the blessing of other people. We should just depend on our own, you know, opinions about ourselves. We're supposed to be people who think I don't care what anyone else thinks. Because you know, if you depend on someone else for your self-image, that keeps you under their control. All that should matter to you, our culture says, is what you think about yourself. But here's the thing: have you figured this out? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It never works. It never works. In fact, I will just put it this way. We live in a culture today where more people than ever before in the history of the world think that the way they experience a good life is to highly value themselves. And at the same time that that's true, we have record levels continuing to rise, continuing to rise, continuing to rise of anxiety and depression. And it's almost like the more you tell yourself all you need is yourself it's almost like your life just doesn't work because as god's word shows us we cannot bless ourselves we need someone outside of us to bless ourselves so you can you can tell yourself this i just need to bless myself and think highly of myself but the reality is it is an illusion And sooner or later, it will fall apart. You you cannot ever be assured of your own worth unless someone of great worth outside of you comes to you and says to you, you are a person of great worth and, and I will be there for you and I'm committed to you and I love you. We all need that. And if we can't get that, what happens? Well, what happens is the story of many of our lives. What happens is we do all kinds of things that invariably and inevitably lead to shame and regret and pain. We, we do things to ourselves. We do things to other people. We exploit other people. Sometimes because we want blessing, we allow other people to exploit us. And our, our lives often like Jacob's, just fall apart. Why? All because we desperately want a blessing from someone and we're doing what we can, everything we can to find it. And if you can't find it from someone else, what are you gonna do? Well, let me give you the only answer and I wanna tell you it is very good news. And here's the answer you can get the blessing from God. God will give you the blessing. And if you have God's blessing, then you can live with confidence, you can live with peace, and you can know who you are. And and you don't have to be needy and desperate going around searching for other people's approval. I mean, if you get it from other people, it's nice, kind of like frosting on the cake, but you don't have to have it. Why? Because you have the blessing of God. And that's why the blessing says the Lord bless you and keep you and then at the end it says and, and give you peace. That word peace is the Hebrew word shalom and it's, it's, a, it's a word that is so much richer than our, our word for peace. It does mean peace but it carries the idea of wholeness. It carries the idea of, of the fulfillment of our deepest desires. See and this is just telling us what, what does it mean for the Lord to bless you and keep you Again, it means that he doesn't just wish for your good. It means he's committed to your good and he will do whatever it takes to bring about your good. And so when you have his blessing, you can live and find absolute fulfillment. And if you don't, then you're gonna live a life of exploiting other people or being exploited by them while you're trying to find blessing. So that is the blessing of God. And if you are seeing what we're told, it is incredible. It really is. What's the second question? Well, the second question, maybe you're asking it is, how do I get this blessing? How do I get it? How do I experience it? Some of you are saying, how can I earn it? And the answer is, you can't. Can't earn it. Look at verses 25 and the first part of verse 26. It says, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. Will you notice it, it doesn't say make the Lord's face shine on you. God is the one taking the initiative. God is the one acting. He makes his face shine on you. The Lord is the one who turns his face toward you. And by the way, what, what does that phrase about the face mean? Well, God's face means his relational presence. Now, the Bible teaches we believe that God is omnipresent. That means he's present everywhere. But for his face to shine. And that, that Hebrew word conveys the idea of a smile. Uh, of radiance and, and joy. For God's face to shine on you. For God's face to be turned toward you. That means you have his personal attention. This is all reflecting that you have an intimate and personal relationship with him. And I want you to go back to when God said to Moses and Aaron that you are to say these words. And I want you to think what Moses might have thought when he heard God say, I want you to tell the people that I'm gonna make my face shine on them. Do you remember the story when Moses was up on Mount Sinai just not too long before this, and he prays to God, He, he asks God this, he says, I wanna see you, God. I want you to show me your face. I want you to show me yourself. It's actually a prayer request for intimacy. Do you remember what God said? God told Moses, he said, no one can look on my face and live. Why not? Well, we know the Bible teaches that though God is present everywhere, we have lost his face this is one of the main points of the Bible. In fact, the first main point of the Bible is that we had the face of God in the Garden of Eden, but we lost it when we turned, you know, from him and we decided to turn to sin. We decided to be our own saviors. decided to be our own masters. We didn't lose the presence of God. God is still present everywhere. We did lose the face of God. We did lose that intimate personal relationship with him by our sin and so God is now saying to us in our sin no one can look on my face and live and what he's telling us is this my absolute holiness and glory is inherently incompatible with your sin it's kind of like fire and water you put them together and either the fire will evaporate the water or the water will put out the fire right they, they will not stay together. They are inherently incompatible. And God is saying, there's absolutely no way that my holiness and purity can dwell with your sin. And God's face is like the relational gate into his holiness and his, his glory, his character. And so when Moses heard God saying that he was gonna make his face shine on them, You must be thinking, how in the world is that even possible? Well, there's actually a hint that is embedded in this blessing. Did you notice it? It's kind of the only hint that Moses had. The blessing says, and be gracious to you. Remember, when this blessing was to be spoken, it was to come when, at, at the end of the tabernacle service? Well, what had happened before in the tabernacle service? Well, if you read uh, the early books of the Old Testament, what you see is that they, were, they would have been having blood sacrifices of animals f- for sin in the, the tabernacle service. And so you get at this point kind of this hint that somehow God is going to deal with our sin so that we can have the relationship back, so that we can again feel his face shining on us. But the tabernacle and its service and the sacrifices were only a hint of what God was going to do. Moses didn't know, but we do. We do know because we have the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, this is what it says. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What priest? Just say it out loud. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the one who paid the ultimate price, who was the ultimate final sacrifice given so that God's face can shine on us. Do you see it? Do you believe it? He put himself in my place, in your place, in our place. It wasn't just an animal sacrifice. It was Jesus' sacrifice. Now, think about that. How how does that actually bring us into a position where we can get the face shining, of God shining on us and therefore receive his blessing. I want you to go back to the story of Jacob for a moment. Do you remember when Jacob was getting into his disguise, you know, putting on his brother's clothes to deceive his dad? At one point he stops and, and he, he says to his co-conspirator, I mean, again, messed up family, right? He says to his mom, who's encouraging him to deceive his dad, he says to her, well, what, if, what if dad's on to me? What if dad sees what I'm doing, and I not only don't get the blessing, I get his curse? Do you remember what Rebecca said? She rashly says, on me be the curse. Now, get into your brother's garment. Let's do this thing. That's what she said, basically, Upon me, be your curse. One one commentator says about this, this is so good. He says, in the most awesome reversal of all, Jesus graciously says to us what Rebecca rashly said to her son. Upon me, be your curse. Think about that. These words, Rebecca said them rashly, never thinking they might come true. Jesus said them knowing exactly what they meant. Upon me be your curse. He knew the full depths of what he was saying and what was coming for him. See, the Bible tells us that the curse that Jacob deserved for his deceit, the curse which you and I deserve every day for our sinfulness, all of that was laid on Jesus. Why? So that the blessing that was rightfully his, Jesus' blessing, are you tracking here, as the firstborn son of God, his blessing might be given to us. Jesus wore our garments of sin so that we could wear his garments of righteousness. And so when the Father blesses him, Jesus, and says, you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. It means that that blessing of the father to his firstborn son, that blessing becomes ours, our blessing. See, this is how blessing is bestowed. Blessing comes when someone says, you are my beloved, my beloved child. In you I am well pleased, and everything I have is yours. See, this is how it happens. We have the blessing of God because Jesus, the son of God, took on our curse for our sin so that what we deserve falls on him and what he deserved falls on us. And actually, friends, that's the gospel. The gospel is that everything we deserve fell on Jesus. Why? So everything he deserved would fall on us. And about right now, I don't know why yet, but somebody ought to be saying amen, right? Isn't that good? What is Jesus to serve? Well, Jesus, as the Son of God, deserves to live forever as he always has. Jesus deserves to rule and to reign. What does the Bible say we're going to have because we are in him? We get to live forever, right? We're going to one day rule and reign with him. And we don't know really fully what that means, but we do know that it means that God can look at us as if we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. See, if you have asked God, to forgive your sins and to receive you into his son Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done for you. Then the father, he does look at you and he says to you, you are my beloved child in Christ and you absolutely delight me and I provide everything you need for your blessing and your fulfillment and that is the one thing you've always wanted. The blessing of God That is what all of us have been desperately seeking. It is that that thing that drives all of our lives. And we are told in Jesus, we can have it. We can have it now because Jesus says, I will be there for you. And I'm not just gonna wish you're good. I'm gonna achieve your good. I'm gonna pay the price necessary for your good. And he did. And all God's people said, amen. Second question, here's the third. How does a blessing change my life? Is this something that's just supposed to make you feel better, you know, when you leave church for a few minutes? Have this kind of nice, you know, warm feeling inside? And the answer to that is no, no, more than that because we are told, and this is so good, at the very end of this passage, after the blessing uh, of, uh, of God is given and what the people are to be, are to be told, we are told that the blessing of God names us. It names us. Look at verse 27. God is speaking and God says, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. We're gonna be baptizing again in a few weeks. And you know, right, whenever a Christ follower is baptized, they are baptized in the name of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right, in the name. See, when you become a Christian, the, the way God blesses you, he doesn't just shine on you, he doesn't just smile on you, he doesn't just make you feel like loved in general, he puts his name on you. He gives you his name. What, is that? what does that mean? Well, maybe you could imagine in this way a child who's an orphan, a child alone in this world, a child is powerless completely, and some great family steps in and adopts him. What does this child get? Well, he gets the family name put on him, and with that name, it changes everything. He gets so much more. Very quickly, let me just give you four things. You could probably think of a list multiple times this long. First of all, he gets identity, He knows who he is. He's not an orphan anymore. He has a name. And because he's in a family, second, he gets community. Again, he's not alone anymore. He's got brothers and sisters. If he's got a problem, someone's got his back. Third, he's got accountability. Any of you grow up and your parents will remind you regularly, you are a... And they would say your last name, right? Who had that happen in their life from time to time? I mean, it may not have been a very pleasant experience, but some of you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Maybe some of you heard me say you are, a, and, and you didn't hear your last name. You heard something else your parents said to you. I don't know. But you're supposed to represent your family, right? You're supposed to live a certain way because you have that name. God is saying the same thing. This is what happens when you're adopted. You respect the family name. And then fourth, you get security See, to be a son or a daughter, it's not like having a job and having a boss, you know. And when you, you, you fail, you get fired. You know, when you're in a family, even when you mis- misbehave, you're supposed to get loved. And this is all part of the blessing. Do you see? This is what changes you. Because of your identity, it changes how you face and respond to problems because of community You have support built in whenever the world is hard. Because of accountability, it calls you to live in a different way. Because of security, you face the future in a way you never have before. Because of security, you have, you know, changes to your anxiety level. You don't have to worry anymore. It changes having God's name on you, everything in your life. It changes everything. So, what what are we supposed to do with that? I want to end by telling you quickly two things that we do with the blessing of God. Very simple, very important. First, you give blessing to others. You know, when the Bible tells us bless one another, bless and curse not. I mean, do you know what that means? Do you practice that? This simply means what it says. You just, you, you find something great about someone and you tell them, you, you tell them that it's good, but you're also committing yourself to a relationship with that person. You're making yourself available to them. You're in relationship with them. And here's the deal, okay? Some of us, too many of us don't wanna do that. We're busy people, right? You know, places to go, things to do, people to see, stuff like that. Ooh, we're all impressed, Let me just ask you a question. If you've been like rocking along with what I've been telling you all through this this message and saying, ooh, this is good. I love this stuff about the blessing. If you are, are saying, this is amazing. I wanna have this in my life. How in the world can you take that from God and not share it with someone else? How in the world? In fact, here's what I'll say to you. If you're a person who is reflexively critical. Like most everything that comes out of your mouth is critical. It's not very positive. It's almost always negative. Or if you're sitting next to someone who is like that, okay, don't look at them right now. (laughs) If that's you or someone you know, odds are very, very good that person has not truly experienced God's blessing. And if that's you, here's how you deal with that. You need to receive God's blessing in your life to truly believe it and and truly receive it. And and that's actually the second thing that I wanna tell you as we close. Receive God's blessing, live in God's blessing, and and seek God's blessing every day. And again, seeking God's blessing is another way of saying seeking God himself. You, You don't want stuff That God might give you more than you want God Himself. You want God Himself. And this is so crucial because we live in a culture that is constantly pounding on us and telling us, you know, we're not good enough every day in so many ways, you know, it's commercials and when you're at work and and some of you may, maybe it's every day in your family, you're always hearing again and again, you are not good enough, you are not good enough, you know, out in the world, it's like you gotta buy our product and you gotta earn that promotion if you're gonna be someone of worth and you gotta get that raise and you gotta buy a house, I mean, come on, buy a house and if you have a house, then you're being told, buy a better house. Don't don't just stay with the one you have. Be dissatisfied. And also, why aren't you better looking? Right? I mean, just think of the messages we're always getting every day. And, And the thing is, we are tempted to try to find blessing by responding to those messages and doing what those messages say, even though, have you figured this out yet? Even though those things will never give us what our souls truly desire. Don't you know? Don't you know that you only want one thing, You only truly want one thing. It's what your soul is longing for. It is what you're looking for. And it's why you can't ever seem to find it because you're trying to find what you really want in something else that will never give that to you. What your soul wants is this. Your soul wants to know I'm blessed by God. My life has worth because God delights in me, and my life has stability, because God provides for me. Don't you see God's blessing is God saying to you, and some of you need to hear this right now, God is saying to you, I don't care. I don't care how you feel about yourself right now. My face is shining on you. That's what God's saying. God is is saying, I don't care if everything other person in your world like it's raining on you. My face is shining on you because in Christ, I delight in you. In Christ, you are my beloved child. In Christ, everything I have is yours. And that's the blessing of God. And so Southwinds, I'm calling you today. If you're not doing it already, live by the blessing of God. Live in the blessing of God. Give to others the blessing of God and receive it and just give it and receive it and that's just the way you live life and when you live like that, like God says about his creation when he made it, it's all good. It's all good. Amen? Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us today, Southwinds. The word of the Lord. I wanna close as our team is coming out, our worship team, by us uh, speaking that blessing together as we've done the last couple of weeks. And we're gonna say it right now and then we're gonna pray and then we're gonna receive our offering and then we're gonna sing a song which is called The Blessing. You know that song, it's a wonderful song. But let's just together as this blessing is on the screen, let's once again speak this over each other, over ourselves. Join me. The Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we all need your blessing. And Lord, there may be be some who, who need to receive your son Jesus for the first time in their lives right now and if that's anyone here Lord I pray that they would now reach out to you and say God I I want to know you I want to know your blessing and so God I repent of my sins of trying to do life my own way and God I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he conquered death by his resurrection from the grave and God I don't understand how all this works but I receive it I believe it, Lord, I choose it. I I want to live in the blessing that is made possible by Jesus' sacrifice. Lord, we pray, all of us, that those who need to take that step will do that even now. And Lord, for all of us, we, we want to seek your face. We want to know your blessing. And Lord, even now, may our prayers be lifted up to you, just thanking you for how gracious you've been to us, how many different ways you've made your face shine on us and you've given us peace through Jesus. Lord, we, we thank you for your blessing and, and how it's shown up in our lives. And we, we ask that you would help us to live as people who know the blessing. And Lord, I, I wanna pray especially for those who are finding themselves maybe in some kind of a storm today or they're just struggling, maybe it's with despair, maybe with shame, maybe with this feeling that they've just never been good enough and they will never be good enough. Lord, I pray that they, they would see even now. Open their eyes, God, to know it's all by your grace and you have the power to change any heart. I pray they would receive that now in this moment. Lord, we, we lift our prayers to you and all of them are lifted before you in the name of your son, Jesus. And so as your people, we pray, and as your people, we say, amen, amen.